Blog Talk Radio. Something to give, either you have something to say, either you have someone to love, why, why, why are we here? There is a time for giving back, there is a need for one's own black. There is freedom and commitments left. So why, why, why do we Richardson, and this is Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. Welcome to the show. Tonight is August 6, 2019. Um, there is a lot going on, and tonight I wanted to do a show. It really started last week, the idea of how our culture changed with the growth of Alcoholics Anonymous, which kind of was at the same time that Scientology and then Est was growing and the human potential movement which is what it was called, uh, was growing. And uh, I first want to put a shout-out to the people that died in the last three shootings, um, many of their families or people who were harmed in the Garlic Festival and in El Paso, Texas, as well as in um, Ohio. Uh, so I'm not going to talk about the shootings here tonight, um, but I do want to just... Um, put out there that uh, just really, really horrific and sorry to see such hatred um, and white supremacy as well as who knows what else, you know? I mean, the guy in uh, El Paso, that killer, his father is a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, which was told to me by people in Texas who contacted me. But um, anyway, so where did this all begin and AA getting uh, such strength that it has. And it goes back really, really far. I had um, the author of U.S. of AA, How the Twelve Steps Hijacked the Science of Alcoholism, Joe Miller, on a few months ago, and I haven't been doing any shows. It's been a pretty busy time in summer, and you got to take a break, you know. Uh, but things happened a really long time ago. So let's go back to the 1960s when um, the federal government gave a billion dollars in subsidies via the NIAAA, uh, the field, this is right out of um, Joe Miller's book, that um, there was a capital influx from the private sector as well, and more and more insurers followed Kemper's insurance lead in offering treatment services to their clients. So as far back 
See, they began coverage in 1962. Hartford and Prudential Blue Cross started doing also. Then in 1980s, a little more than a decade into the NIAAA's existence, it became standard operating procedure to offer such coverage uh, as more and more clients demanded treatment and state legislatures uh, passed bills requiring it. A study conducted jointly by the NIAAA and the National Institute on Drug Abuse in 1987 tallied that 5,791 alcoholism treatment units in the country, among them 1,400 were private for-profit treatment facilities, a quadrupling of such concerns since the early 1980s. When the NIAAA did another survey in 1993, it found that more than 700,000 people received alcohol treatment on any given day. Um, during this time, it was an incredible growth. Hazleton developed a means by which to bring in more patients, the family intervention. As with the Minnesota model, it pioneered the tactic was appropriated by treatment centers around the country. So it was like get the families involved and do the whole intervention thing began. I believe that the... Um, sort of the pushing of that this is a family disease, which there is no such thing. Of course, it does affect the family, but it's not a family disease. Um, there's no such thing. As if, I mean, I guess if, you know, if something is genetic, right, then it could be. But I think the thing that I, you know, I, mean, I was really shocked by the Marty Mann book in that how far back when I had read her bio, uh, Joe's book is, you know, even, well, far deeper. Uh, it took a very long time to put this together. I think he spent five years. Um, I want to have him on again. He, I don't think he's gotten the rounds of television appearances that, that he deserves, but then he's, like, up against the great white hope. You know what I mean? It's kind of like maybe the first persons that took on the Catholic Church, what they were up against, and how hard that was. I really don't know what it's going to take. I mean, imagine if all these mass shooters were actually AA members and then that finally came out. Like, would that tarnish the name of Alcoholics Anonymous to the point of, oh, okay, this isn't a great thing. You know what I mean? Like we had, um, oh, Newt Gainridge, I think it was during uh, Bush's second re-election that he won that Newt Gingrich, you can you can find it on YouTube, was sitting there promoting how the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous had helped him, and it wasn't for drinking, but it was other issues, and it was applicable to you know any anything in life. And we're like, what? The fact that you left your wife with cancer for that woman that you're whatever. I mean, it it is. She actually looks like a stepper. Uh, his wife, his current wife. So I think that. You definitely saw, I mean, I would say that this is personal knowledge with the Scientology that I knew some people who got kind of scooped, not into joining Scientology, but that I knew people who got the book and were reading it, and I know somebody who disappeared. They disappeared from our lives and nobody knows what happened to them. And I believe that uh, they they thought that Scientology was the answer of all answers. And then uh, sometime in, 
I know that there's this other program called Landmark that a lot of AA people got involved with, and it's it's like a cult, you know. Uh, and it was a, that's Landmark is a spinoff of Est, and Est is Erner Wehrhardt's, uh Wow, what a crazy, crazy thing that is. Um, so Est was something where you know it's part of the human uh, potential movement. And interesting, I was watching a John Denver special. And, uh, you know, um, it's kind of sad that he became uh, an est person. And they, in this documentary about John Denver, the singer-songwriter uh, who wrote, you know, uh, West Virginia, Country Roads, and all those songs, and Leaving on a Jet Plane, that he was involved with this. I don't know for how long. Uh, I know he definitely in sort of the end of his life, he had a little bit of a... A drink issue, um, but um, Est was uh, it was an, an called Encounter Therapy. Uh, Werner Erhard. I don't know that he's still alive. Actually, yeah, I, th- I guess he's still alive. Oh, interesting. It became the Forum. Whoa, interesting. That was not um, Landmark. Was it connected to Landmark? It says here. Uh, the last S training took place in December of 84. The seminars gave way to a gentler course called the Forum, which began in 85. And that's actually somebody who I know who um, who took it, uh, that class. And I took this class at the business communication seminar that this guy, when I was in Hawaii and I, I was driving um, a limousine for an office building in Waikiki, uh, he invited me to the class, and it was like two weekends and... I mean, you could go to the bathroom and whatever. Um, but, you know, it's so funny. I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia of Est, and um, Werner Earhart reported to have personal transformation and created the Est training to allow others to have the same experience. The first Est course was held at Jack Tar Hotel, California, in 71. Within, within a year, trainings were being held in New York City. Oh, my God. Um Beginning in 1974, the S training was delivered at the U.S. Penitentiary at Lompoc, California. You know, these fucking people, man. It was like, what is it with this prison thing? And I didn't know that S went into prisons with the approval of the uh, Federal Bureau of Prisons. Jesus Christ. Initial S training in Lompoc involved participation of 12 to 15 federal prisoners and outside community members with the walls of the maximum security prison and was personally conducted by Werner Earhart. Oh, Lord. By 79, S had expanded to Europe and other parts of the world. Um, let's see. 83, in the United States, a participant collapsed during a portion of the seminar known as the danger process and died at the hospital to which he had been transported. A court subsequently found that the S training was not the cause of death. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, the S training presented several concepts, most notably the concept of spiritual transformation and taking responsibility for one's life, the actual teaching called the technology of transformation. Yeesh. Oh, my Lord, what horseshit this is. As S. Grew, so did criticism. It was accused of mind control and labeled a cult by some critics. Um, interesting. Uh, and it was replaced by a gentler course called The Forum, which began in 85. Very, very interesting. Uh, I don't know why I'm finding it interesting, but 
Uh, let's see. It operates as Landmark Worldwide. Yeah, yeesh. Uh, kind of like the Oxford movement. You know, they've like re reinvented themselves over and over and over. But the whole AA thing is very, very deep. And I think for for AA to get out of our you know prison system and the court system, DUI, court ordering people there for even to send somebody there for you know five or six times is pretty outrageous because it definitely is religious in nature. It's very religious. It's not a program. It's a quasi support group, and you have innocent American citizens um, who are multi-religious, like different religious uh, backgrounds, that are being forced to go to a very fake. I mean, it's even not Christian, you know what I mean? Even though it's like it's horrible, they, they say the Lord's Prayer at the end. They say the serenity prayer that they've bastard up at the beginning. Fucking hold hands with everybody. And, uh, you know, it's just a bunch of horseshit that are, are courts and people are not empowered when they get a DUI. That they say, you know, what do you, what do you mean? You're gonna, Or they go to one, they should come back to the judge and say, what do you mean? Like, what are you doing sending me to this stupid place? Um, whether you're Muslim or whether you're Jewish and this doesn't fit your thing, but even if you were Catholic, I mean, they want to make up who God is. They want to say, you know, like, oh, God is your higher power. You can, you can, uh, the doorknob could be your God. Let the group be your God. Yeah, yeah, I don't, you know, even as a a young person, I was like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think you guys are going to be like my higher power. It is so embedded. It's embedded in the um, the Board of Psychiatry, the National Board of Psychiatry, the PHP programs for doctors, the FAA, uh, the Delta Airlines, um, United Airlines, all force their pilots, even pilots who are, uh, don't have a problem, um, might have gotten a DUI on their own time, um, you know, who don't fit the criteria for being alcohol dependent or having uh, the new label of, God, I hate these labels, um, alcohol use disorder, you know. Uh, so we, we talked about the nurses, the doctors, and their PHP programs, nurses. And lawyers seem to just, uh, some lawyers fight back. We have a lawyer that fought, oh, you know what, I should probably have him on. Uh, he fought back, and he did win. Uh, we have uh, the uh, Barry Hazel story where he was sent, and he fought back uh, when, he won like 1.8, right? What was it 1.8 million dollars for fighting? Um, we know we have a nurse up in uh, British Columbia who's fighting, a male nurse up there, and uh, you know it's just like everywhere. Like uh, I remember when my youngest son was in high school, and he told me that his social studies teacher uh, told them that they should go down to an AA meeting. I was actually in their book. I was like, in their health book. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And Alcoholics Anonymous is in your health book? So, you know, I, I just can't get as angry as I got before because uh, I'd be, I would just be angry all the time uh, because it's so fucking big. Um, you know, there's people who are are in the professions and they act like they're not in it, but they are. And, and this type of thing has to change. It is changing. A lot of people are asking for something else, like uh, Passages Malibu is growing, and they have a uh, place out in Ventura that's, uh, I would say, you know, more for middle class and 
um, you know, not a very nice place, but it's not uh, an insurance. They take insurance, and it's completely non-12 step. And I think they're opening up another location that's not going to be luxury, uh, which is good. You need regular places that get covered uh, by insurance. And then there's uh, Tom Horvath's place in uh, San Diego called Practical Recovery. Aton is another place, uh, non-12 step out in Calabasas, run by Ed Wilson and uh, Marianne. Uh, forgetting Marianne's right, last name right now, but you can look up non-12 step. And um, there's a center for motivation and change that is out of New York City, and they have a you know uh, outpatient, and then they have a beautiful luxury uh, rehab in Connecticut in the Berkshires. So if you have a lot of money and you want to get away, uh, my friend. Uh, Danny and I, we joke about, can we go there for a retreat? <laughs> I don't need a rehab. but <laughs> looks like a nice place to go for a long weekend. Um, anyway, uh, you should check it out, CMC, Center for Motivation and Change. Uh, there's lots of people that are getting their degrees and, and studying with these places, and people that have a Ph.D. or um, MFCC, and they no longer, maybe some of them some of them I know were never in AA, some were and left. And then there's the whole plant-based medicine uh, world that's really growing. So you have people that are using Ibogaine. Of course, that's out of the country because that's not legal here, but they have made uh, psilocybin legal in Colorado and Oakland. It's so funny. It's like, why Oakland? Like one, one city, it's legal. But, you know, they, there are uh, therapists that work with you as you take, I don't know if you microdose or what, but they do therapy under that. And there's trauma work, so there's a lot of people learning about that in EMDR. Uh, and then, of course, there's ayahuasca, where people leave to go do that. They leave the U.S. to um, do ayahuasca. And that's, um, you know, nothing is a silver bullet or what they say, like the magic pill. But there are, there are some that are, and I think that naltrexone is one for some. I really, really can work. I've seen it work on people. Um, I've known people have taken it just to study. And, uh, you know, this is for people who want to reduce their drinking. And for some, you know, they take it and they, uh, you take it one hour before you're going to drink. And, um, yeah, good to take it with food. And for some people, it just works really well and helps reduce the drinking. Uh, yeah. So the Sinclair Method, that's what that's called. And then you have Claudia Christian out there, and she uh, helps people who want to like dive dive deeper into that. She made a great film called One Little Pill, and that's available on um, Vimeo too and Amazon, as well. My film is uh, The Thirteenth Step is available on Vimeo, and um, oh, there went my watch. Did you hear that? It said time to breathe. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then the other one is the uh, Business of Recovery. That is a, a really, really great film. Um, I think all of us were making our films at the same time. They came out at a similar time. Unfortunately, none of us wound up on HBO or Showtime, but hey, well, you know, when Hollywood's so infested with uh, AA members way at the top, too, you know, we'll never know. Oh, yeah, the one thing I remember when I read this, oh, my God, I was just like, you got to be kidding me. So in the 1950s, as far back as the 1950s, uh, the vice president of CBS was on Marty Mann's board. Um, at the time, it was called the National Council on Alcoholism and Education. It became the National Council on Alcoholism, the NCA, and then it became the NCADD, the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependency, which is its name now. That is a front for Alcoholics Anonymous and its workers. 
Uh, the other ones are not, the NI, AAA, and NIDA. Um, they're not fronts, but I don't really know the people that run them. That would be a good thing for me to um, call them and interview those people and see what's going on there. So I'm working on a project with trying to put together all the pilots who are out there who are being forced, uh, coerced, and extorted, right? Uh, if you, somebody tells you that you're not going to work, you're not going to get your medical license back unless you go to AA rehab or you go you know, to HIMSS. Or, I mean, they've sent these, some of these guys, they were like sober as a judge when they, I wanted to send them to rehab. I know one, Scott, my friend Scott from up in um, uh, Seattle, you know, was like 14 months sober. I don't know how you can arrive at a treatment center all completely sober like that and then that's like send you home. But uh, I was talking to a pilot today, and, you know, they're charging like $50,000. They're just making just a crap load of money. And, uh, you know, this just has to stop. And I've made for some friends with some other people, uh, a woman and her husband who was forced to go, and he was not even like a pilot or uh, a doctor, and he was actually forced to go by his company and a lot of games were played there, uh, a lot of really serious games, and uh, 30 days turned into 90. Um, but this particular guy really fought back, and uh, his fighting paid off, and he's a great wife, very supportive. And a shout-out to you. I won't, I'll, won't mention your name just for your own privacy, but you know who you are if you happen to be listening. Um, uh, I know that Sally down in San Diego area, not San Diego, sorry, uh, Orange County area, she has a smart meeting on Monday nights that's held in a Kaiser uh, Kaiser uh, building. And that's a great meeting, and it's growing, and she does tremendous work and uh, educates on Narcan and has all kinds of literature and is finding that there's a lot of rehabs that people are, are requesting uh, coming to Smart Recovery. So she's doing a lot of education there. And, of course, you know, Tom Horvath has been at it for years. And, uh, you know, so I, I think that I got off you know, topic here because it's not really a solid topic of how did it get this way, you know? What What is it about, you know, my husband makes a joke that, you know, white people love cults. Now, there were, if there was some cults where there were black people in them, and then I made a joke back, well, you know, they like churches, you know, black people are still, you know, really involved with their church, and so sometimes, and, and sometimes that can hold people back. I, I got to tell you, there there's times where I've seen the whole church thing, uh, yeah, it can be great and supportive, but not if uh, they blame you, uh, victim blame, and they don't empower you to uh, to change things. So, but there, it does seem like if even if like a Tony Robbins seminar, that it, it seems like pretty white heavy, if you know what I mean. Alcoholics Anonymous is still pretty white heavy. It's male dominated. The numbers are high. That it's white and that it's, it's still male dominated. And then Est, I don't know, you know, I don't know the numbers. It, but Est is gone. It's now the forum. Uh, these are, you know, do these people just have too much time on their hands, too much time to think and money to take these classes? It would be like Scientology. Scientology is very white, you know. Um, I remember when I saw one of the episodes where they actually bought a building in Inglewood. This was really kind of a sad and disturbing story, and the woman who was in charge, um, she died like suddenly... I thought she had cancer, but it just seemed a little suspicious to me. But nobody was in there. Nobody. Like, you know, they just, they're just they just not going there. They're not going to buy into that bullshit. And, uh, you know, I think different cultures probably uh, do different things. I think, you know, it's not not uh, unfair for me to say that, it, you know, have white people lost 
they don't have any culture anymore. Is that fair for me to say? I don't know, because if you see, and I think it's horrible what's going on with our government, uh, with, you know, targeting, talking about Mexican-Americans and stuff, because the truth is, like, these are some of the friendliest people that I, I know. I've been in Southern California for a long time, like three decades, and, like, they still have a culture, uh, as well as you'd say, like, the Persians. There's a lot of Persians in L.A. They have a culture still. The Native American Indians do, and and there are people that have culture, as of Jewish friends, you know, you still see them celebrating their culture. Um, but you have, like, a group of, I don't know, disenfranchised white people that they don't really have a culture. I mean, I, did, I was raised, like, in New York City, and um, you had traditions and stuff like that that you did with holidays. But, you know, I just think it's time for it to change. And, uh, you know, I found it really really weird and interesting and it was disgusting and you know what just happened uh, over the last week i'll start with el paso with him you know putting up his manifesto and uh the mass killer is still alive down there talking his stupid shit down there but what came up very quickly somebody uh somebody private messaged me that daily mail article which is really you know covers who his father was this is a the mass killer in El Paso, and I'm not even going to say his name, but his father wrote a book and you know, supposedly works in treatment, and there was nothing in the report, that, in the article, I mean, that said he was a stepper, but I thought to myself, well, most likely, uh, but then I kind of like said, okay, whatever, so somebody contacted me, and, and I said, is he a stepper, and she said, yeah, he is, the people I know know him in Texas. Um, the ideology, so was the shooter raised in AA ideology with that? Was he victim? And you know what? I'm not giving him an excuse. There's no excuse. He's pure evil. It's absolutely white supremacy, pure evil. But was he raised in it? Or was he sent to Alatad or Alateen and Al-Anon and told that he was broken and that he has this? Who knows? I don't know. I don't know enough. But he doesn't get to get a, get a pass. And the horror that horror should show that went on in Ohio. What about him? Where did he go? Where did he go? Because he disappeared for a couple of years. And so, you know, I'm still, you know, called some friends in Ohio to see what happened there. But um, America needs to step away from these cults. And AA is one of them. Whether you think it's a cult or not, you know, I could tell you something. I, I had Rachel Bernstein on a couple of times, and she's a cult deprogrammer. She specializes in it. And I learned a few things from her. And, you know, you can there, – there's – we want to call AA as a baby cult, you know. It's still it's still killing a lot of people. And everybody's like, how dare you? What do you mean it's killing a lot of people? Well, you know, uh, if you're told that only only I can help you, that is a marker for a cult. There is no fucking way. There's no fucking way that anybody is like that person. Only I can help you. Really? Can you imagine going to a doctor when you have cancer and you're saying, I'm the only one who can help you, man? You know, you'd be like, get out of here, shut up, right? And then if if you ever leave, so it's supposed, then it's supposed to say, oh, it's a support group. Some people say it's a program. No, it's not a program. i got to tell you something. Even me, when I was brainwashed, and I worked those steps over and over again, and I was like, by the time I was in my fourth year, I was like, you know, this is bullshit. I'm not doing this over again. And they were like, oh, no, we have, like, another way we're going to do it. We're going to go back to the house and, you know, in these small groups, and we're going to really dig into this. And we're going to use the 12 and 12 
to like really work on this. And I was like, fuck you, man. You know, fuck you. I've already done it just like from 1 to 12, just like those old timers over there standing, you know, shaking their, you know, coins in their pockets, driving away in their freaking Cadillacs. Successful people who said, nope, you do it once and you move on. That's it, you know. But then people got, like, obsessed with, and then really what it became is they were all getting involved with working in treatment. They wanted to make money off of, you know, working with the person, you know, with uh, addiction issues. And uh, they were all like, oh, this is a gravy train. Yeah, I guess it was a gravy train. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, the gravy train is over. It's over. And I don't care that they're going to dump, you know, $100 million, whatever Trump passed, they're going to put money into mental health. And we know that, like, I don't know what percentage of people who work in mental health are in AA, but it's a ton of them. And uh, I just know that things are changing in this field, and there are too many people leaving, and there are other places that are sprouting up. So I want to thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, I'm going to have a show. We'll do another show in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I am Monica Richardson, and uh, this is Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. And I will see you again uh, on the Internet and uh, in the Facebook groups, or I have a blog, Leaving AA. And uh, we'll see you next time. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.